I'm a pastor, and uh, you probably could have guessed that by the goofy microphone and that I'm on the stage. But uh, people always ask this question, how do you know, how did you know that you were called into ministry? I get that. I actually had to write paper, uh, a paper, maybe two papers on that uh, in my higher education schooling. Uh, like, how did I know I was called into ministry? And I'll just, let me just tell you, uh, I just wanted to do ministry. I think that's the answer. And Andy Stanley, who's famous, he says the same thing. And so I think I'm okay. I think I'm covered. There's no Bible verse that says you need like stars in the sky or anything. I was always looking for that. Like, oh man, this is oh, all this degrees and uh, no stars yet. You know, I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? But it was like everybody, they're always looking for like this magical moment. And I, I kind of just want to be like, how did you know you were called into engineering? You know, I mean, you just wanted to, right? It's what you, you thought you should probably do. And the, the honest answer for me is that if I did anything else, uh, I, I wouldn't be satisfied. There's other things I would like to do for a little bit, uh, but it would be hard for me to do anything else for a long time because I, I just it just seems like this is where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. But this question causes a problem. Not in me, I don't care about the question, I just think it's funny and kind of weird and it's like the one question people know what to ask a pastor if they've never been around a pastor. I'm like, oh boy, don't say anything, he might pay attention, you know, but ask him this and take the attention off of me. Uh, but, but here's the problem that it causes, is that it does this thing in every other Christian and, and it says something to every other Christian, you're not as important as that guy who gets on the stage every week. Your ministry isn't as valuable because there's some magical calling that he has that you obviously don't have because if you did, then you'd get paid to do ministry and get paid to work in a church. It's not the intent of the question. Uh, I don't know where the question came from. I don't know why people think you need some magical thing to end up being a pastor. Some people have that. That's great. Uh, but some people don't. A lot of people don't. But it creates this dichotomy this huge uh, chasm between those who are paid to do church and every other person who goes to church, who calls themselves a Christian. And this separation, I think, does a couple of things, but one of the strongest things that it does is it makes everybody else who's a Christian think that they're just not that important to the whole Christian thing, to the whole church thing, to the whole kingdom of God thing. And I think that like 95% of people that I know, and I would just guess, you know, because I know a wide variety of people, probably 95% of people kind of feel like their lives are fairly purposeless. Like they just kind of live to get through the day and maybe they have a few goals, some things that they want to accomplish. But if you ask, like, is there any real purpose to your life? The purpose would just be kind of, doing life, just getting through life. And then you would look, you, if that fits you, if you kind of go, well, I wish I had a little more purpose and I wish that I could know, because I think we all have this inside of us, that my purpose will last beyond my lifetime when I die, that my kind of what I did and, and what I worked for and, and how I spent my years, that, that that would continue past me. But if you, if you just feel like that's not true for you, you probably look at people like me and go, oh, pastor, well, he, at least he has some purpose, you know? I mean, uh, at least there's a purpose there that I don't have and I wish I had. 
And it's sad because the Bible makes abundantly clear. I mean, it's like we're not reading it or something. That, and here, here it is, ready? That every person who comes into Christ, who becomes a Christian, who believes and gives their life to Jesus because he died and rose again for our sins, every person has a purpose and a pretty big purpose. And we have ruined it. We've ruined it by our professionalism in ministry. We've ruined it by, by looking at pastors and saying, how did you know you were called? And, and, and we're going to see today, this is a wonderful passage because we're talking about our identities. We're talking about reclaiming our identities in Christ. We've said uh, uh, multiple times in this series, this is our sixth week, uh, but multiple times that in, in creation, when God made man and woman, our identities were pretty awesome. I mean, we had purpose and, and we had worth and we had value and God looked at us and thought we were pretty, pretty unique and special. And then as sin entered in the world, all of a sudden something happened. People's identities were stolen by the world and by their own thoughts and by their own feelings a lot of times. And all these things pull at our identities until uh, we get to a place where we just kind of, if we stopped and looked deep inside of ourselves, we don't, we don't like ourselves that much. And one of those early identities, one of the things that was there in creation was purpose. God made Adam and Eve, you know that part, but you might forget that God made Adam and Eve and they both had purpose. God just made us with purpose, but our purpose has been stolen and taken and ripped away from us and forgotten for, in those of us who are Christians. And Paul, in this passage in Ephesians, as we continue through the book, looks at every one of you, not me, looks at every one of you and he's going to be like, here's how you know you have purpose. And I think it's going to hope, this is, I really hope, that it's like a wake-up call. The reality is, in church today, modern American church, and almost every organization really, but it's sad that this exists in the church, that 10% of the people do 90% of the work or so. 10% of the people do 90% of the work in just about any organization, and it exists, that same number exists within the church, not in our church, it's a little higher. Uh, we expect and want a 100%, 100% ratio. We don't get that. Uh, but, we, but we do better than that kind of 10-90 rule. But it still exists where some people do a lot more of the work. A and this is going to say like, no, we all should be doing the work. And here's how Paul starts it. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received time notice the beginning it's important as a prisoner of the lord paul is in prison he's already told us that he's in prison because he is saying basically hey gentiles and jews have the same hope now and they have become one in christ they are now one it used to be jews versus gentiles and they had tons of you know problems between each other but now if you're in jesus if you're a christian then we've come to one church and we're unified and all the hope is the same because it's all about jesus dying for our sins and rising again according to the scriptures and we all believe that and so we're all one now. And so Paul is sitting in a prison because Gentiles and Jews, non-Jews non and Jews, uh, nobody likes that. I mean, nobody likes that. The, the, the Gentiles, the Roman guys are looking at Paul and going, 
<laughs> I'm not like a Jew, uh, and I'm not going into their hope. And the Jewish people are looking at the Romans and be like, those are dirty, wretched sinners. Like, do you know what they do in their free time? No way we're going to be part of them. And so eventually Paul just ends up in prison more than one time because nobody likes him anymore. Nobody except for the Christian people like him. And, and I think it's funny that he sets this up, the rest of these verses, with as a prisoner for the Lord. It's like that reminder where somebody reminds you what they have done for you and then they set you up so that they can ask you to do something. You know those kind of moments, right? Where you're like, hey, remember that one time when I, when I did that thing for you? By the way, I need you to do something for me. The, the scene that comes to my mind is White Christmas, uh, the greatest Christmas movie ever made. White Christmas, at the very beginning of the movie, if you don't know it, if you don't know it, then I don't know. I shouldn't even need to explain this. It's old and it's awesome. Uh, but White Christmas, the very beginning, they're in the military. One of the guys saves the other guy. And then throughout the whole story, whenever the guy who did the saving wants something from Bing Crosby, uh, then he just goes like this because he heard his elbow saving him and rubs his elbow. And, and it's kind of like Paul has already said, hey, I'm, I'm a prisoner for your sake because I'm telling you this great gospel. And, and so as a prisoner, this is the thing that I'm urging in you. This is the thing that I want from you. This is the thing that you need to remember about your identity. And that is that you should live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You are, this is part of your identity, you are called. If you're a Christian, will you say, I am called? Very nice. And we forget this oftentimes, that we are called. Literally, what Paul says is the calling with which you were called. Part of this new identity, if you've come into Christ, is that you have been called into this relationship with God, and as we'll see in a second, into purpose. We've talked about this already, but I just want to repeat some of the things we've seen. Your new identity is blessed, chosen, blameless, adopted, redeemed, rich, heir, member, share, alive, saved, specially designed, near to God, and last week, loved. That's pretty good. But Paul takes it a step further and says, like, when you picture who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you, you need to remember one more key thing. You have been called. You've been picked out for a purpose. There's a radio commercial that goes around right now for the Army Reserve, and I think it demonstrates like kind of calling pretty well. There's a lot of things that demonstrate calling pretty well, but, but I don't think calling is just, hey, you know, hey, you got called. Jesus called your number, dialed your digits, you know. Uh, it, it's something that, that shows that we have purpose. And uh, this, this Army Reserve commercial says like, uh, the voice, this voiceover, picture voiceover, woman then man. Uh, you may have heard it, but it's, I think it's on sports radio. So if you're not a sports person, you probably haven't heard it. But uh, it says, I'll never forget the first time. And then somebody else says, I'll never forget the first time. Kind of like that, but different voices. You with me so far? And then it says, that first call came in. And then it goes on to explain a flood and how they go to a community and they save the people from these flood waters and they're able to do a lot of good work. And I think calling is like that. Like God called us because he wanted us to do something. 
We think about another thing that I've, that I've thought about as I've thought about this is, is a sports thing. Uh, but when you're drafted into a professional league, you get a phone call. And every person, every person as they get older in their career, they always say like, I remember that call. You know, and it wasn't that they remembered the call because somebody said, hey, this is the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers, just wanted to say hi. You know, nice talking to you. It's because they knew at that moment that they had been brought into something that was awesome and kind of bigger than themselves and, and gave them a, a purpose in their lives that was pretty cool and pretty unique. And when Paul says calling here, he means that you have been called to do something. You have been called for a purpose. You have been called for something specific. And I think about this, just pause because we're not to anything else yet, but this is really important. Because we picture Christianity, when we're brought into it, not as a call, but just kind of as a prayer sometimes. I said a prayer. Not like I got a call because something was needed to be done, but that's the language that Paul is giving us here. Paul is reminding us in this language that when you are brought into Jesus, you take an identity of a called person, somebody who now has a specific purpose to fulfill. I think of a couple things as I think about this and I look at the American church and, and Christians that I know who just kind of get Christianity and when they think about Christianity, the way they picture it is I pray to prayer, I get to go to heaven, and I go to church sometimes. But that's not good enough when you've been called. When somebody has said, hey, now I want you to do something. And it's very important and very valuable. There's a scene in Saving Private Ryan. I actually quoted the scene a, a couple of months ago. Um, but, but it's at the very end. And they're trying to save Matt Damon. That's Private Ryan getting saved. Um, that's how that movie goes, kind of. That's the goal. I won't tell you what happens. Uh, but again, you should have probably seen it. But, but they're saving Private Ryan and, and Tom Hanks, don't remember his name in the movie, at the very end, realizes that, I'm going to give this away. You, you've seen it, right? Or you don't want to because it's been like 30 years or something now. Uh, looks at him and he says this thing. He says, earn this. Because like, Ten guys have just given their lives. He looks at me and says, earn this. And I think that in Christian circles, we do one of two things. We go, well, I have to earn my way into a relationship with Jesus, into being saved, and that's false. Or we go to this other extreme where we just go, well, Jesus died for me, so I don't have to do anything anymore. But the reality is Jesus died for us and then brought us into a relationship with him so that we might do something. And after we become Christians, not by our own works, not by our own merit, not because of something we've done, after we have become Christians, we should live a life that suggests we are trying to earn it. We should live a life that says, I get what a great gift I have, ha I have been given, what a calling I have been brought into, and so now I'm going to work out, as the Bible says, that salvation with fear and trembling. Another way that I think of it is Spider-Man. Uh, the most famous line in Spider-Man is, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man uh, has just become Spider-Man because he gets bit by a spider. I think that's how it goes in all of them, right? They make superhero movies so much now, like, who are these people anymore, you know? I used to think I knew the stories, but, but Spider-Man gets bit by a spider and he becomes Spider-Man and, and then his 
uncle, right? Yep, is about to die. Uh, and his uncle is talking about something else, but he says, with great power comes great responsibility. And Spider-Man realizes, like, wow, I have spidey powers now. And, and so I can't just sit around and do nothing with that. I mean, wouldn't you just think about it? If you were friends with Spider-Man or Superman or one of these superheroes, and they were like, yeah, I've been given a pretty special job, but I'd rather watch TV in the evenings. That would bother you, right? That you'd go, wait, with great power comes great responsibility, and you've been called into something pretty special. I mean, we do this with certain things. I mean, we look at people who, who get drafted into the NFL. This happens every now and then. And then they just choose to retire because they want to become teachers or something. And we, you, you don't like to admit this because teaching is great and all that. But you go, what an idiot. You know, you do, right? You, you say that. Like, you read the article and you go, you're an imbecile. Like, come on. Like, what are you thinking about? Because you have been given this, this call to do something that is something none of the rest of us can do, and yet you've chosen not to. And we look at people, we talked about heirs a few weeks ago. We look at people with lots and lots of money. And we go, oh, if I had that money, then I'd do something great. We talked about that. But we look at these people with billions of dollars and we go, you're not, you've been given this gift of money and you're not doing anything good with it. How could you? And, and what Paul is saying to us is that when we think of the Christian life, we should think of it as a calling into a purpose and we should do our best to live a life that lives out that purpose and fulfills that calling. You see, you look at pastors and you go, they're called. And I am. I'm called. So are you. I'm trying to do my part. I have a different role than you. But you also have a role. And some of you are doing that role. And some of you aren't doing that role. Because you haven't grasped onto the identity probably of calling. You've only taken hold of maybe like I'm saved and forgiven part. But you haven't recognized that you have been called. So the first part of this, and it's so important, is to recognize that if you are a Christian, then you have been called into a purpose and it is your job, Paul, saying it from prison, like, hey, I'm in prison for you guys. Here's what I want you to do. Live a life worthy of that calling. And he continues. And here's part of it. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the first part of living out this calling, this new purpose, this new identity, is not what I would have expected. It is basically to be at peace with other people, specifically other people within your church, and not just at peace with them, but to be united to them, to be, to use our language here at Creekside, to be connected to other people that you are in church with. I just, let's just play a game. Let's listen to the words of Paul here, and then let's, in our heads, compare them to what we have seen in church in our lives, or what we think about church, or what we have heard about church. Ready? Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's not like what I see. In our church, 
I see some of that. I see peace. I don't see fighting. But I mean, this is bigger than just like don't fight with each other. This is like I'm humbling myself as you humble yourself. That means to lower oneself below another person. So I'm lowering myself. I'm being gentle with you, kind, forgiving, all of that. I'm bearing with one another in love. That means uh, to, to put up with one another. That's what that means, actually. It's an interesting word. We're putting up with one another in love. But what I see, what I really see, what I've seen so much in church is like, and, and Christians is like, well, you're not a Democrat or you're not a Republican, so we can't get along. I mean, there's a lot of that that goes on. Or I don't like, you know, what that person said to me at church, so I'll find another church. I mean, it's, I, I'm telling you, I don't think most people have read this. I actually said uh, to somebody, I don't remember who I was talking to this week, like, uh, this is just a, this is like a passage of scripture. I just think I need to read it and be like, there it is, you know? I mean, look what it says. Paul is saying, I mean, think about the difference between like, I'm gonna whine about not getting my way when I'm with other Christians, or I'm gonna be upset with you if you disagree with me, and, and, and then like, be patient and humble and gentle and bear with one another in love. Big time different. Big time different. You see, Paul is talking, think about this, because you go, well, it's a brand new church, you know? I mean, how bad could it have been? Paul is talking to Jewish and Gentile people. That's his primary audience. And he's saying, hey, you people get along. You people be in unity with one another. You people bear with one another in love. I mean, these are people that, that they don't even agree on what you can eat. Think about that. I mean, I mean we're so far back. They don't agree with like, the, like what you can wear. Like imagine if that was a problem at our church. In some churches it is. Um, but, but imagine like if, if you were coming to church today and, and we had suit section over here and sweatshirt and short section over here. I mean, and you really thought those people were wrong and bad for what they were wearing and you really thought those people were wrong and bad. That's the people that, that Paul is talking to. I mean, be completely humble. Lower yourself and your feelings for the good of the other person. And be gentle with one another. Not like, I can't believe you did that, but hey, I love you and I don't agree with you, but we're cool. And then put up with each other. This is, this is so different. And, and, and if this is part of living out the calling that we have in Jesus, then I look around at the church today and the reality is people are just being disobedient and they're not living out the calling. They're not living a life worthy of the calling. I'll just tell you this. I'll tell you this. Uh, during our shrinking years at this church, we were going downhill in numbers. I, I can tell you that the majority of people who left this church left the next church that they were at. They need to read this verse over the smallest things. They left here and they left there and they'll leave the next one too because somebody forgot to preach on this or they didn't open up a Bible and read the book of Ephesians or whatever. I mean, uh, this, this is radical compared to what I see. I mean, I'll just uh, quickly, uh, humble in Greek means lowliness of mind. I mean, how many people that you know in church are looking at, the, you know, you're looking at yourself and you're going, I'm less important than the person next to me. Think about if we all thought like that, how awesome would our church would be. Or how about meekness? Uh, it means mildness or gentleness. What if we're just all mild and gentle with each other? Or patience means long-suffering or slow to anger. 
I mean, what if we just like, I'm not going to get angry at you. I'm not going to get angry. It's going to take forever and ever for me to be upset with you. Or what about uh, bearing, standing firm, or putting up with each other? If we just said, I'm here, and, and I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be with you. I mean, we, this is what we do. We go, I'll try to invest in this person's life because I go to church with them, but they get too annoying, then I'll move on to the next person. You know? What if we're just like, I'm here, and I will put up with you out of love? No matter how weird you get or difficult you get or whatever, I will be here with you. Wouldn't that make church better? And then it says make every effort. I mean, be diligent or zealous is how that translates. What if you just were zealously trying to be at unity and peace with everybody else? Every other Christian, really, but specifically the people in your church. I mean, Paul looks at this group of people that are so radically different from one another and says you should have total unity because you're all lowering yourselves for the good of everybody else and he says here's the reason not because you all get along naturally not because you enjoy the same things not because you're just like each other or because we've done great demographic research and we're only going to be a church for the young or for the old or uh, or, or for the black or for the whatever uh, but because you have all been called to the same faith. He says one Lord and one baptism and all those things. You've all been called to the same Christianity. If you want to know why you should be unified with other Christians, why you should be kind and gentle, why your Facebook feed should be nice, then let me tell you why. It's because you are part of the same family if you are both Christians. And you shouldn't be mad at each other all the time. It should take a lot for you to be mad at each other. And you shouldn't run from one place to another because you believe the same stuff. It's theological in nature. We're all part of the same Christianity if we are Christians. He continues. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many people captive and gave gifts to his people. And then there's this parenthetical statement. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Notice, I want you to notice this, ready? To each one this grace has been given. And grace is not salvation here. Grace is ministry. That's how Paul has already used it elsewhere. Ephesians 3, 8, he says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. The grace here is your job that you've been brought to when you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and taken on the new identity. Jesus apportions ministries to each of us. That doesn't mean he gives some big ministries and some small ministries. It just means he gives you a ministry, and he proves this through Psalm 68, 18. And there, the language is of a general coming back from war. And the general is coming back from war, and he's coming into his parade, and he stops, and then he gets out the gifts, uh, the stuff that he has conquered, the, uh, what's the word, the, the, the fruits of war, the, there's a word. What is it? Spoils of war, that's the word that I was trying to think of, thank you. Uh, and he brings the spoils of war and he opens them up and he says, look what I have brought to you. And the picture that Paul is giving us here is that Jesus descended to earth, he became a human being, and then he ascended back into heaven. And as a conqueror, 
He has left you gifts, and the gift is purpose. The gift is that now your life has meaning, and that meaning takes its place, finds its value within the local church. And he continues, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The specific roles he mentions are certain roles in churches that teach the Bible. And so what Paul says is, look, I've given these certain roles Pastor being one of them, actually teaching pastor is a better translation. Teaching pastors, apostles, uh, prophets. I've given these certain roles that teach the Bible for a purpose. And that purpose is to equip everybody else so that the church may be built up. Let me stop here. And first of all, say you are equipped. If you're a Christian, we say I am equipped. And these gifts are given to you this equipping has been given to you so that you may build up the church but let me tell you how we have it all backwards and if you've been through our serve course and this is a very familiar passage because we read it like 20 times it's one of the key passages for our church and what we try to do and how we try to do things and what we try to be about let me tell you how a a high percentage of churches work Uh, they look and they say well we have some pastors and we have some people uh, that teach the bible now everybody else Come around and help them use their gifts. Help them fulfill their purpose. Your purpose is what a lot of churches would teach you. Probably not say this out loud, but it's just one of those things that you would learn over time. Your purpose is to help the guy's purpose on stage. That's kind of your job in life. But what this passage says is pretty different. It says that God has given you a purpose. He has equipped you for ministry. And it's the guy on, the guy on stage's job to help you live out that purpose. You see how backwards that is? You see how upside down that is? It's not your job to fulfill my purpose. It's my purpose to help you fulfill your purpose. That's why I'm here in this role. At Creekside, this looks like this. I try to not set a 10-year plan. We have some people, and I would be one of them. They would love just, let's put a 10-year plan together, and let's say this is what we're going to be doing in five, and this is what we're going to be doing in 10. But we just don't believe it's right, because that's me going, this is what I want to do, and let's just make everybody else do it. What we do is we try to look around, and we try to go, it seems like God has given this person a heart for this, And he's given this person the ability to do this. And he's equipped this person with this. And we have these resources. So what does it say about what God wants us to do next as a church? While the difference may not be seen all the time, we believe that it is a very important difference. Because it reminds you, it shows you, it it, it lives out the fact that you have a real purpose and that purpose has been given to you by God and it is my job and other people's jobs who teach the Bible within this church to equip you for service and guess what happens when we are all doing our part the body of Christ the church is built up you want to know what's happening in America today the church is shrinking The church is not being built up. It seems that the church in a lot of ways is being torn down. Now, God says, Jesus says that the gates of 
hell will never prevail against the church, so I'm not too worried about the whole thing. But if you look around numerically and you look around at ministry, what we see is the church's impact, the church's numbers are all going the wrong direction. And I have this theory. People have never read these verses. Because what what are the things we hear about? I mean, what are the things we hear about? We hear about lack of unity. People don't like that very much, right? I mean, we hear that all the time. And this verse says, hey, be unified. Be slow to anger. And then we look around and we have this 90-10 rule. And it's like, well, how much can 10% of the people do? How much can the body of Christ be built up really if only 10% of the body of Christ is actually doing something? And here's what I believe. I believe that the church in America can once again go the right direction if people will just go, yeah, sure. I'm going to live out my calling through unity and I'm going to live out my equipping through serving and doing my part. You see, you've been equipped in a whole bunch of ways. And some of these we talk about uh, at our serve course, and I hope you'll come to that. It'll be in the fall again. But uh, uh, this is an acronym, our spiritual gifts, our expertise, our relational styles, our victories and our struggles, our enthusiasm. God has, has uniquely made us to serve the church. But some of the equipping just happens like this. You became a Christian. There's an equipping that happens there. Uh, God's presence has come into your life. We saw that in the passage we looked at last week. There's an equipping there. Your life situation equips you. I mean, you have a unique situation in life that allows you to do something that somebody else is not doing. Other Christians, the Christians you're around right now, the church, the pastors in the church, they equip you to serve God through the church. Kyle Snodgrass said this, and I like this a lot, because you go, well, I don't know what my equipping is. I don't know exactly what I'm called to do. Here's what he said. He wrote a commentary on the book of Ephesians, and he said, we would do well to have less concern about identifying our gifts and more more concern about being a gift. That's awesome. That is about how the Spirit functions through us to strengthen the body. We would would do well to be less concerned about figuring out the perfect way to serve and, and if we were just more concerned about serving and saying, I will be a gift to this church, we would all be better off. And he says that if we, this is huge. If we will do this, I mean, think about this. If we will do this, then the church is built up and then a few things happen. We will all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and we will become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We will have unity and, and knowledge and maturity. And, and I, I'm pretty certain as I look around at, at churches and Christians that we are lacking unity and maturity and knowledge. And it's because you're not doing your part. That's the reason. And, and if we will grow in these three areas, then something crazy happens. We start to look more and more like Jesus to the world. Have you ever heard somebody say, I really like the idea of Jesus? I don't really like the church. Have you ever heard that? It's the title of a book, in fact. But, but have you ever heard like people say that? Jesus is great, but the church is no good. We should look like Jesus. But it only happens as people live out their calling and their equipping and they serve and the body of Christ is built up in unity and maturity and then, and knowledge, and then we start to see the church look like Jesus. Isn't that cool? And then he says this will happen. And, and, and this is crazy because... 
This is exactly the problem right now. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Have you noticed that Christians around our country are buying into every lie that the world is telling them? And do you know whose fault it is? Yours, if you're not doing anything. It's yours. It's your fault. Don't blame a pastor. Don't blame the churches. Blame yourself. If you go, wow, I can't believe that, that now people are, are voting this way. It's because you're not serving the church. That's the reason. And so people aren't mature and they don't have knowledge and they don't have unity. And we don't start to look like Jesus and people just don't know what to do. If you go, how did we ever get here where people would just so blatantly sin and still go to church? It's because you weren't doing anything. This is the reality that Paul's getting to. I mean, we just take the opposite and we look at the church in America. If you will all do your part and live out your calling and your equipping, then the church is built up. Let's just flip it. If you do not do something to live out your calling and your equipping, then the church is going to be torn down. And that is what we are experiencing. Why is it that people no longer understand the Bible the way that they once would have? Because you haven't done your part. Why is it that people just seem to just buy into the lies of Satan? Because you haven't done your part. I might not be talking to you specifically, but, but if you're like, he's talking to me, then I'm probably talking to you. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. And this, I mean, this, this is what we are seeing in our country. This is what we are seeing. We are seeing people be tossed back and forth like infants in waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. I mean, that's, that's quite the word picture. I didn't even think about that till right now. It's kind of funny. It's a baby in the ocean. <laughs> it's not funny if it's a real baby, but it's kind of a funny word picture, right? And that's what people are like in the current American culture. Oh, well, and this is what, the media tells me that if I say this, then I'm a bigot. So I might as well believe it, you know? I might as well believe just like them. Yep, that's what's happening. And it's, it's your fault. It's your fault because you haven't done your job. Now, it's a lot of our pastors' faults, too. I'm going to take some of the blame. Maybe not me, but I'll, I'll take blame for my compadres that get on stage every week and say, here's the deal, guys. It's all about me, you know? It's, it, and here's what I want to do and what I think, and, and so here's what I'm going to need you to do. Serve in the nursery. You know, I mean, that's your only job. Just kind of do what I want to do, and that'll be it. But it's, it's you who has to serve if we are going to be, as Paul says here, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And we're all joined together in him. And it grows as each part builds itself up in love and as each part does its work. The church is the body of Christ. This is huge uh, metaphor. It means that we have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It means that we have unity together. It means that each person has a responsibility. Paul talks about that in Romans 12 and, and in 1 Corinthians. It means that the body grows and is built up as each part does it work, its work. And it means that everything done in the body must be done out of the context of love because you're, you're part of the same body. Romans 12, 5, so in Christ we, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We are one body trying to be built up. But notice the unity and diversity. 
We have unity, but we are all different. And we all do different things so that the body of Christ may be built up. You go, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm called to do. And that's okay. Here's what I'd say. Do something. Do something. Let me just kind of just from me for a second. I've been a church, uh, part of church forever and ever and ever. But it wasn't until uh, really where, where I really started serving was early in uh, Early in college, I guess, I started, maybe in high school, I might have been a senior in high school, I, I started serving as the kindergarten Sunday school teacher. I was terrible. Uh, the kids loved me. Uh, like, oh, curriculum, what's that? It's like the volunteer I don't want. But uh, I jumped in there. They needed, they needed more men, and uh, there was this kid named River uh, who I've actually tried to look up through the years. He was a handful. Uh, he graduated from kindergarten. They sent him back to my class because he needed a male influence in his life, and and so I did that. I've taught retirement home Bible studies. I've done divorce recovery classes. I've helped with VBS. I was a summer missionary in southeast Idaho. I, I've done everything at this church, like everything I've done. Um, I've even learned how to like screw things in or pound on nails because of this church. Uh, and, and here's what I, all of it is I'm better for. I, I don't mind that I've done any of it. I didn't like doing all of it, but I don't mind that I've done any of it because I've really worked to build the church. And as I sit here, you know, however many years removed, um, 14, 15 from my freshman year of, of college, it's like, I'm thankful that I haven't just gone through the motions. I haven't just shown up and sat in church. I've, I've actively participated so that the body of Christ may be built up and not torn down. And I want it for everybody. I want every person to do that. Here at our church, we need more help. We need people to step up. Here's my dream. Let me tell you my dream. That everybody will call me this week, not talk to me directly after church, because I don't like to have business conversations after I preach. But, uh, but everybody will call me this week, and everybody will say, your sermon was incredible. I just want to do something. So <laughs> that's kind of the goal. Uh, but let me just, we could use more help on Sunday morning. I'll just throw this out. This isn't why I did this sermon. We could use more help setting up on Sunday mornings. We could use more help with event planning. We could use more help when we do events and we're actually doing the setup out there. Uh, we're going to start within the next couple months here to actively support foster children and foster families in our area. Stay tuned for that. Be at the annual meeting uh, to learn more about how we're going to do that. We're going to need a lot of help to make that happen and to make that go. Uh, so there's, there's a bunch of stuff that, that we could really use help with. And if you don't have a clue, like, I don't know what I'm called to do, just, just call me. Maybe I'll have an idea. Um, but, but I want you to serve. And I want it for two reasons. Two reasons. One, because the church in America is not being built up. It's shrinking. It's, it's, if it's not shrinking, it's just getting overweight and, uh, and it's just a mess. It really is a mess. I mean, the majority of people have no idea what the Bible says. They don't read it. They don't do anything. They sit around. It's terrible. And so I want you to do something because if you don't do something, there's no maturity and there's no unity and there's no knowledge. It's just not going to go. We're not going to be built up. And I want you to do something because, as I said earlier, don't we all want to have purpose? And I could tell you that, that you could almost do anything, almost anything, and your purpose will not have eternal value. Now, you may write like this, the greatest book besides the Bible ever, and it will last beyond you, and there might be one in a billion. You're probably not here, but, uh, you know, you might. 
But if you want to do something with eternal purpose, then serve your church. Then figure out what God has purposed and equipped you to do and then do it because that will last beyond you. We see in our churches that there are just a few people doing stuff, but every Christian has been called and equipped. And here's, here's the rhyme Ready? Here's the rhyme that I want you to remember. And this is, uh, hopefully you'll say this to me when you call and say this is, this is what really got me right here. But you were called and equipped for a job that ought not be stalled or skipped. That was a good one, huh? I can see it in your eyes, I know. You were called and equipped for a job that ought not be stalled or skipped. And too many people that I see in churches are like, well, I'll serve someday when I'm less busy or my kids are grown up or I have kids or whatever, or they just skip it all together. But God has called and equipped you to do something right now, right here in this church, and we want you to do it because it's, it's the only way that your life will have eternal purpose, and it's the only way that the church is going to be built up once again. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for calling and equipping us. I thank you, Jesus, that, that I have figured out at a pretty young age um, how you have called and equipped me. And while I often have to wear many hats just because I want to see your church built up, um, kind of know what you want me to do most weeks, Lord. Uh, and I want that for every person. I want that for every person here, God, because we can't grasp fully our identity in you until we fully grasp what you have called us to do, Lord. And so I, I just pray that you would move in hearts. And maybe even this morning as we sit here and somebody goes, hey, I was supposed to be doing this and, and I forgot and I started, I skipped it or whatever. Maybe you'd speak to them now. But God, even more, I just pray that every person who sits in front of me, every person who's behind me right now and every person who will listen online w- will take seriously the responsibility that they have in you, Lord. And God, as I think about your word and some people, some people just don't want to have responsibility. They don't want to do anything. But you make pretty clear, God, that if we're lucky in heaven someday, if we've worked hard for you, then, then it increases our role and our purpose for eternity. And, and God, I pray that we would just start that now. And we would show you, God, that we can be faithful with a little so that you will trust us with a lot. God, I pray that every person here would get into a ministry within our church that would that would excite them and impassion them and they'd go, hey, this is, this is what God has called me to do. Because when people find that, Lord, the church is better and, and people are better. And so I pray that you would do that in all of us, Lord. You know that I pray, God. You know I pray every week for Brynn and I. And I'll pray it in front of these people now. You know that I pray every week that Bryn and I would serve you in the right way and in the right place. And I pray that now for every, every person, God, here. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for our calling and our equipping. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.